Hello and welcome to Opinionated Science, the podcast from Technology Networks. I'm Rui McKenzie, the neuroscience editor here at TechNet, and today I'm very excited to be discussing some early stage research that points to a future where our brains can bypass the limits of the human nervous system, connecting to other people's brains, to computers, and perhaps even the brains of pigs called Gertrude. Joining me for this ambitious discussion is TechNet's head of editorial, Ash Board. How are you, Ash? Very well, thanks, Rory. Very well, and uh, very, very excited to be joining you on this one. Yes, we should uh, we should be delving uh, into the the borderlands between science and science fiction, but uh, we'll we'll try and try and keep everything as rational as possible. Uh, we'll be discussing a, a few things today. So, firstly, some research from the University of Washington that's enabled three people sharing brain signals to play a game of Tetris together, and then a discussion of how brains might interface with AI, and finally, we'll chat about a very ambitious, of course it's ambitious, it's from Elon Musk, a project called Neuralink. Um, I hope we don't annoy Elon's legions of fans too much. I'm not sure what we call them. Is it, is it muskites? Muskets? I, I quite like muskets. I think that feels, uh, it's got quite a bit snappy. of a, I don't know. It's quite snappy, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, there's a bit of Civil War vibe to it as well. No. <laughs> we'll, we'll, be as, uh, we'll be as balanced as possible with our discussion, don't worry. <laughs> I think we'd, uh, we'd both had a wee read of this paper from the University of Washington, Ash, um, about a project called BrainNet. It's quite interesting, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, um, it was something um, for me. I mean, I've not, not been a sort of a, a neuroscientist. Um, I was very interested. Obviously, I, I knew the words um, kind of the brain was capable of controlling robotics. And obviously, for um, some of the people that are paralyzed or missing limbs, there's the things um, the Things I've seen there is obviously moving the artificial kind of limbs, but yeah, th- this for me was was a whole new world. The, the connection of sort of uh, not only sort of two individuals' brains, but sort of connecting, sort of get, getting three together was yeah, it was it's pretty remarkable stuff. So I mean, for me, Rory, I mean, it's, I think it'd be helpful for everybody if you could kind of explain what these guys have done. Absolutely. So this is as Ash had pointed out the kind of first study to do a few different things. Um, one of them is an innovation in the number of people that have been connected to a brain-to-brain interface, as as they call it in the study. Um, getting three people together in in the fashion they have done in this study is is a world first, and also the way in which they've been able to um, both pick up information and give information to brains is is a world first. Um, for for anyone who's reading along with this podcast, uh, you'll see in our show notes. The study's been linked. It's entitled BrainNet, a multi-person brain-to-brain interface for direct collaboration between brains. They didn't even get Tetris into the title, which is quite disappointing. It's by the Rao Lab at the University of Washington. And before we get into the study, I I will just review the the kind of technology we'll be discussing today. So both Rajesh Rao, who's the the leader of this study, and and Elon Musk have both used the, the terms reading and writing to the brain which is an analogy from computing, uh, which kind of indicates what the devices do. And that analogy isn't universally accepted, as we'll find out a bit later on, but it does capture the essence of what's happening in these studies. It's taking information and either sharing it to a brain or extracting it from a brain in the form of electrical signals. So there's three main ways in which this is done. The first is lectroencephalography. Damn, that's a long word. We're going to go with EEG. EEG 
is a non-invasive brain stimulation technique. So this involves picking up brain signals from the scalp using a cap, which is fitted onto a volunteer's head. So EEG doesn't involve chopping your head open, no brain surgery, just essentially wearing a cap in a particular place on your head. Obviously, there's some sacrifices in terms of the, the accuracy of this technique versus the more precise techniques we'll discuss following up. But yes, it doesn't involve cutting open your head, which is always a, a bonus. The second technique is electrical electrocorticography. <laughs> Let me try that again. Electrocorticography. <laughs> I, I can't even. Electrocorticography. There we go. Uh, ECOG. Now, ECOG is uh, a technique which involves peeling back the scalp and measuring electrical signals from the surface of the brain. So this, this measures surface level electrical activity from <laughs> the cortex. The final technique, which as we'll find out, is the one favored by uh, Elon Musk's Neuralink, involves inserting microelectrodes into the brain itself. And this has been done in, in several different ways, including more surface level um, placement of electrodes and, and also deeper electrode placements, which have been used to some success in uh, certain neurodegenerative conditions such as Parkinson's disease. But starting with BrainNet, this project from the University of Washington, they've been using EEG in their techniques. So this is a non-invasive technique. Now, the setup with BrainNet involves, as Ash mentioned earlier, three different individuals. In this setup, two individuals are called the senders and the third is called the receiver. Now, this refers to the, the flow of information within the study, but all three of them mm -hmm are playing a game together. And that game is a kind of variation of Tetris where the ultimate aim is to clear a board by fitting a geometric shape that they can see on a screen into a, a board with uh, other shapes on it. So the kicker is that the two individuals who are the senders can see both the piece they're trying to fit into the board and the board as well, whereas the receiver okay. cannot and can only see the board. So the task facing these three individuals is to try and fit uh, the piece from above into the into the board and, and, and get rid of that line, even though the only person who can control the piece, who's the, the receiver, can't see it. So they have to work together using brain signals to uh, achieve their goal. On that, Rory, I think it's important to note as well that these, the senders and receivers are in separate rooms, aren't they? So, I mean, there is apps, because that, again, the skeptic in me immediately when you see this you think well okay are people snatching a glance at another screen or something like that but yeah this the fact that this is occurring in different rooms is again for my un uninitiated brain was uh, certainly uh, I don't know certainly surprising I guess exactly uh, to kind of demonstrate the the technology involved we'll have a little think about the the workflow of, of signals involved in this study so initially you have the screen facing the senders. Now, on this screen, they can see a Tetris piece, a Chetronimo, uh, or the, I don't know, trademark-free version they're using in this study, whatever that might be. Uh, and they're tasked with either deciding whether the piece will fit into the board below or whether it won't. So to indicate uh, which one they, they think is the case, they're tasked with looking at two flashing lights that are placed below the screen in front of them. Now, these lights are flashing, these are LEDs, they're flashing at different rates. So one of them flashes 17 times per second and the word yes is written underneath it. And beneath another word, no, 
an LED is flashing 15 times per second. Now, if the individual thinks that they have to flip the tetronimo to get it to fit into the, the board, then they should look at the yes option. And otherwise, they should look at the no option. Now, the clever thing here is that when uh, the sender's brains see these different light frequencies, it produces a unique electrical activity, which is picked up by an EEG cap that these senders are wearing. That electrical information is then put into a brain-computer interface, which translates mm -hmm. that information through to our receivers. Now, as Ash mentioned, those receivers are in a different room and the signals are transferred through the, the University of Washington's local intranet. Um, one limitation is that it's not a, a system that can translate through the, the wider internet, but we'll, we'll get to those in a little bit. Now, how is that information given to the receiver that, say, uh, one of their one of their senders has said, "Yes, we want you to flip the block." Well, the clever thing here is that the brain-computer interface gives that information to the receiver using another brain stimulation device. This one called a TMS device or trans transcranial magnetic stimulation. Now, the TMS in this case looks like a little tennis racket which sits at the back of the receiver's head. Now, if the sender says, "Do flip the block," then an electric current is put through the TMS device and because of the placement of the device uh, above the, the visual cortex, the receiver literally sees the message come through as a bright flash of light in their, in their vision. Uh, and if the message is no, don't flip it, then no flash is seen. It's really quite clever. Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 absolutely, it's absolutely remarkable. And I think, and again, on, on this whole study, what, what, I absolutely, what, what really fascinated me is, is the fact that there were there were essentially two brains going into one, and and sort of how they maybe jumping ahead here, Rory, and sort of preempting things you're going to be talking about. But yeah, I think like I say, the fact that the researchers looked at kind of having a a good sender in terms of someone that's always going to be giving relevant right information, and someone who's actually going to not become untrustworthy, and, and how can that be dealt with as well? And and so yeah, just. So every facet of it was 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 fascinating for me, from the actual kind of conception of it through to kind of even to that point where there's this kind of like don't want to get too deep into the ethics, but the kind of the that kind of the, the touching upon the, the ethics of it and, and and kind of how people deal with essentially misinformation that's being sent from from someone else's brain. Absolutely. So once the the receivers received this flash and it it told them to to flip the the tronimo, they then measured whether or not the piece uh, fit successfully and whether the trial was successfully completed. And they found that in 81% of the trials, uh, the receiver did make the right decision based on the information they received from the, the two senders. And uh, it's certainly better than chance. And uh, as Ash says, the, the follow-up study was to see what would happen if the senders who were giving the, the right information had uh, one of the senders had their signals flipped by uh, the computer interface. So this would mean that whilst one sender was saying correctly, flip this block so it fits in, the other signal received uh, would be, no, don't flip the block. So there'd be this kind of mismatch between the two. And as, as you might expect, uh, if the system was working correctly, over the course of the trials, the uh, receiver learnt to trust the correct sender, the one that wasn't having their signals flipped more 
than the uh, misleading sender who was having their signals flipped. So it does kind of show a rudimentary learning that, that's possible and an adaptation that's possible through um, messing with the, the interface here is it's really cool. Um, mm. but there, there are still nonetheless some, some limitations to study before we get too carried away because the information here is still only binary. It's still essentially a bit of information, a single bit that's being transferred yeah. per task. It's, it's a case of the, the sender looking at either a yes light or a no light and that being referred through to our receiver as, as yes, either this flash or no, the absence of a flash in their, in their visual field. So in that sense, it's, it's not a, a complicated system in, in terms of the, the information being transferred. And the, the authors certainly say that this should be something that they, they try and innovate and uh, try and see whether or not they can communicate more complex streams of information. Now, how would they do that? They, they mentioned briefly using uh, techniques like fMRI, magnetic resonance imaging, to, to create a, a, a sort of more detailed and, and deep and more information-rich signal that could somehow be translated into the, um, into the receiver's visual field. Now, I think this is, yep. is, is really nascent technology, isn't it, Ash? It's really just the beginning stages. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's you mentioned sort of uh, different technologies there, and again, it's watching um, sort of Rajesh Rao's TEDx talk was interesting as well. I mean, he uh, is, is it transcranial magnetic stimulation? Um, TMS was something that was mentioned there about. And again, um, please jump in and correct me if I'm wrong on this, Roy. But uh, saying here how they use an electric current, obviously, to induce a magnetic field, which penetrates the skull induces a little electric current inside the brain and then obviously being able to send that signal to the visual cortex or or even to the motor cortex to make it actually move um i just again it's coming to for me coming to this like as a as someone who's completely new to this i suppose it, as you said at the beginning it's it really straddling into science fiction this some of this stuff is is absolutely incredible and so I think it's it's great to see the development of this. So he says the, the basic, well, I say basics, by the binary kind of yes flip, no flip, to the potential of what this actually offers is just staggering, isn't it? And and obviously they they they're already thinking sort of many many steps ahead, and it's just getting these proof of concepts in is uh, remarkable, really. Yeah, I think I think it's a a challenge for academics because you know i'm sure a lot of them are, are dreaming of these as you say science fiction outcomes but they'll be they'll be limited by the technology they have available and uh, mm -hmm. as you say they made use of tms which you describe pretty accurately there it's this creation of a uh, a field that enables the the excitation of of different regions of the brain so um whilst in the the brain net study as you say they they hovered this above the, the visual cortex to produce this flash in a person's visual field. You could also have it above uh, an area that controls a particular muscle to generate a motor response. Um, and and uh, there are these different applications of TMS. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it does take a, um, it, it does excite the, the imagination to think about what could be done with these, these kind of technologies. Um, but also, um, understandably, I think raises some concerns and, and ethical concerns. Now, um, Rajesh Rao does touch on this in his TED talk that you've mentioned, and that again will be linked 
in our show notes. So please, if you're listening, have a watch of that afterwards. It is really interesting. And he does mention at one point that his team at the University of Washington have uh, neuroethicists um, as part of the part of the group, which I think is is really important because this kind of technology definitely throws up a number of, of ethical issues. Um, primarily, I think the, the biggest one for me is is how how you safeguard the the privacy of of thoughts. Now, as we've mentioned before, it's essentially just one bit of information being transferred here, yes or no. It's it's not more complicated than that, mm-hmm. but um, as as their ability to to send and receive more complex information um, is realized, and uh, especially the number of people involved in the neural net. We've we've achieved three here, but what if there was a, a group of a dozen people? How would the the safety and, and privacy of people's thoughts who are engaging in the neural network be safeguarded? I think this is a, a really important issue because um, you know the ability to to read or intercept someone's thoughts is a is a really scary one, and uh, something that definitely has to be safeguarded Absolutely. against with this kind of technology. Absolutely. And I think it's, um, I think it's a really good thing to raise. I mean, obviously I, I think my, my whole stance on it is, is I think as long as it is considered throughout these stages and it's always at the forefront or always involved, not maybe not at the forefront, but it's, it's always involved and, and the people doing the work is kind of have these ethicists alongside them. I think that is absolutely critical for this to continue. I mean, it's, uh, like you say, it's uh, the the opportunity is um, if this was sort of just just to go off and in its own direction without those considerations could be, uh, yeah, certainly open up some new scary uh, alternatives. Yeah, but I think it's um, it's nonetheless worth the the risks as long as as long as they are considered and, and safeguarded against because the, the potential, as you've mentioned, is huge. It's not just about playing Tetris with a large group of people or some other video game. You know the. The one one thing that Rao highlighted in his TED talk was the idea of brain coprocessors, which is where different areas yes. of the same brain are are connected. Now, the idea behind this is that the the feedback loop that's created, uh, the electrical stimulation, can kind of strengthen the connection between these two areas, which Rao says could be really useful, say in the rehabilitation of damaged brain areas. If brain area that's responsible for one muscle can no longer control it perhaps with these kind of feedback loops the the intact nature of other areas of the brain could be used to to compensate for this and uh, you know one of the first applications of brain computer interfaces which is already out there in a, in a rudimentary sense is for people with paralysis people um, who need these kind of interfaces to be able to engage with the world around them uh, whether that's speaking reading uh, writing uh, controlling motor tasks you know there's some really amazing and quite powerful footage mm-hmm. some of which you can see in uh, professor rao's talk of people utilizing these interfaces to to achieve tasks that they wouldn't be able to otherwise so you know anyone who's, who's listening and thinking that scientists are just playing these uh, cheeky games and, and risking all these ethical dilemmas it's not <laughs> the case the, the ultimate aims are are lofty and they're ambitious and it's therefore no surprise that Elon Musk has gotten involved, is it? No, absolutely not. I mean, it's uh, just just before we jump on to um, our friend, um, again, at the risk of uh, trying not to alienate ourselves too much. Um, the uh, What do you see, Rory, having read that BrainNet paper and, and done a bit of research around it? What do you think? What do you think the next steps would be? Or what, what have you, what do you, what have the researchers said right this is what we are looking to do and maybe 
what is the ultimate aim? I mean, you mentioned there that the brain um, co-processes, but anything else that they're, they're really pitching towards? So it, it seems that the, the ability to make this kind of technology more information rich and, and more controlled in terms of time and in terms of the, the spatial accuracy being used is definitely the next step. You know, these, these are really rudimentary signals and they're um, ultimately the, the brain computer interfaces involved. A large part of what they're doing is cleaning up the kind of messy noise that comes when you're measuring using an EEG cap or giving signals using this this TMS system um, you know it's it's quite fuzzy and that's probably part of the reason why only yes or no signals can currently be um, inputted using this this method and and the next steps are going to be to try and use different techniques and um, possibly even more invasive techniques although the the challenge obviously is with invasive techniques you know it's, it's difficult to get volunteers to hop in for some handy brain surgery just to play a game of Tetris uh, so I think it's it's going to be a constant balance between making technology uh, more usable and, and more applicable to different volunteers in these kind of experiments, but at the same time improving the, the resolution and accuracy of the data that's produced and received um, in these tasks. That's the that's the challenge that's facing research. Okay, excellent. Did they did they give any hints to how they're going to do that or what the next steps may be or is that a kind of a, in many ways I mean peer reviewed research kind of to follow? I think that is it's by and large to follow. Apart from that brief mention I, I included of of fMRI being being inputted, mm-hmm. um, but I think part of the issue here is is just in terms of the the finances available in the field and the funding available. Now um, I did take a. A brief look at um, one of Rao's grants on uh, on a funding site um, on Grantome, and uh, one of his his major grants for this research is, I believe, a six figure sum. Yeah, just about one hundred fifty thousand dollars towards uh, these kind of innovative approaches. Now, given the the potential of this technology, that might seem quite small to some of our listeners, and it does kind of put things in perspective when uh, Musk with his Neuralink project has sunk roughly a hundred million dollars into it himself uh, just to get the technology mm-hmm. off the ground. So I personally believe that that Musk's approach, which as we'll see is a very electronics and engineering first approach does have some merit because clearly one of the limitations here is simply that the technology isn't advanced enough for us to be able to interrogate the, the information that the brain's putting out in enough detail. Um, so perhaps it is time to, to talk a bit about Neuralink and, and what's involved there. Yeah, of course, yeah, of course. So I, I think you you as well maybe read some read some of the the reaction to uh, Musk's presentation, which mm. was at the end of end of August there, and, and maybe watch some clips from it. But it, it was certainly a an ambitious presentation, if nothing else. Absolutely, yeah. I think it's um, it was quite interesting. I mean, it's. Uh, the feedback, I think, from the scientific community was, I mean, before we get into kind of what he, he went into, was the feedback was mixed, I think. Um, some of the things I've read around it are saying, I think, what do we got here? Um, we've got seen things, people saying, in articles reading earlier, people describing it as order of magnitude leaps beyond any competitor. It's tremendously exciting. It's a huge technical achievement. Um, but then I've seen other people saying, um, like, professors um, saying well it's solid engineering but it's mediocre neuroscience 
But I guess that sort of comes back to your point, Rory, which is that they've gone very much more down the engineering kind of route. Um, but I think just the, the one thing that really interested me with all of this, and again, before I kind of delve into it, is just, <laughs> it's saying like, new, like the whole field of neural interfaces is sort of, it's the move from academic to the commercial sector, and it's how the research is being presented. I think obviously, I can't help feeling there's this underlying thought that, hey, you should be going through peer-reviewed research. But they're, they're like, well, hey, we're going to do it our own way. We're going to do the big grand presentation, the big reveal. So it's, there's very too much, two sides to this at the moment, which is, is very, very interesting, I think. Yeah, I think there's, there's merits to both. And currently, for, for listeners that haven't been following it, the sum total of information available on, on Neuralink is uh, one preprint paper, which means that it hasn't been peer-reviewed by uh, a journal, but it does mean that it's available on the internet for anyone and anyone to, to skewer it. So that's that's one form of peer review, but certainly outside the normal academic uh, approach to mm-hmm. weighing science. And in addition to that, there's now been two uh, major video events where Elon and his team have um, previewed the the, uh, the the technology in a in a video format and, and kind of shown it off. But obviously, there's uh, there's quite some differences between how they've done it in in this presentation and how one might do it, say, at a, a conference where you have error bars and data, not just uh, uh, <laughs> well, as we'll see, a pick and a pen as 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 Elon has done it. So his most recent uh, most recent demonstration, which was of as he called it, v zero point nine of the the Neuralink technology uh, has seen it have some substantial changes from from its first version. So uh, the first version actually involved uh, a device that sat behind your ear, in addition to some implants into the brain. But this this new version appears as a coin sized device that definitely comes under that third category of uh, brain stimulation devices that I mentioned earlier, the the microelectrodes. So. Mm-hmm. This, this coin-sized device, it's about 23 millimeters by 8 millimeters, slots into a piece of your skull, which is removed by a robot uh, surgeon, um, which, again, yes. Musk was, was showing off uh, during the presentation. I thought it looked like something out of Wally. Uh, and uh, this- Yeah, there's, there's been a there's been a lot written around that, hasn't there? There's been a lot written around that. Partic- I mean, obviously, the capabilities of the robot are incredible, but there's been a lot written just around the design and the style and, and everything. It's all very, uh, yeah, yeah, very far removed again from the, uh, the peer reviewed world. He's certainly going for something that looks uh, futuristic and sleek and, and doesn't make you immediately think of brain surgery, which I think is a large part of the aim of, of uh, this kind of presentation and marketing. But um, mm-hmm. this robot will, will take out a bit of your skull. I mean, this is, this is actual real brain surgery. It's important for everyone to remember that that's, that's what you're doing. It's getting brain surgery. So keep that in, literally in mind uh, when you're when you're wondering whether or not you get one of one of these Neuralink devices. The device itself, which is it is named the Link, um, consists of this coin-sized device which slots into that piece of your skull, and uh, a number of dangling electrode threads which the robot literally sews into the surface of your brain um, to enable uh, the recording and, and stimulation that. The Musk is hoping the, the device will achieve. Now, in this presentation, he initially reviewed these changes to the device's structure and then immediately whacked out uh, three pigs who 
although we we I mean have no no more deep evidence than him him saying they'd had these uh, these procedures. But as Elon said, uh, there were three pigs involved, and and one of them had uh, not had any device implanted. One of them uh, had had the device implanted and then removed. And the third was wandering around in its pen with a device, a uh, link device lodged in its head. Now, the evidence for this was uh, a recording of um, some beeps, which were meant to represent uh, neurons firing, being picked up by the device when the pig kind of snuffled for various treats in its pen. And I mean, all three pigs were definitely alive and, and kicking and doing pig stuff. So, um, you know, there's, there's, there's no immediate evidence that there's, there's any ill effects to them. But by and large, apart from a, a Q&A section, which did get into some of the, the finer details, this was the, the only real evidence that was, was presented during the event. So as you said, Ash, it's very different to how academic research going through a slow and or, you know, stern uh, peer review process um, might be presented, but I suspect that is exactly the point of Musk's approach here. Hundred percent, yeah. It's, um, and I think coming back to what we discussed earlier with um, sort of uh, Rajesh Rao's work is seemingly it doesn't have obviously it doesn't have the funding, it doesn't have the bet, the kind of the gra- the the huge audience, the ex- the weight of expectation behind it. But I think literally in terms of what was shown and what he's discussed is so in uh, this as it stands for me at this specific moment in time he's delivering something isn't he and he's saying look we're actually there's actually demonstrable kind of um, results in terms of the, the connections whereas i mean obviously if, if elon musk is doing his v 0.9 i'm guessing the assumption that or they're just working on at the moment is it possible to place it can it like can it work without affecting people can it be can it be removed without sort of impacting people as well um, I know there's obviously pigs is is obviously that where they're starting is obviously the um, what they're needing to do at the moment, and they've got I think they've got breakthrough device designation, haven't they, from the uh, U.S. Food and Drug um, Administration? So, yeah, uh, that's 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 know, an important one. Yeah, yeah. So I know that's that sort of sort of assists in expediting the regulatory process, doesn't it? So uh, I mean, definitely it's all, all lined up. So. So I'd, so what's I mean yeah. sorry Rory let just let me just ask you a question so what's your as a neuroscientist what's your take on this then what's your you've 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 seen what he's done do you come away from this thinking this is absolutely groundbreaking is is this is clearly going to be the next frontier or is it more clearly there's huge potential here but we're very much at the start what's where, where do you stand with this. Well, it is opinionated science, so I will give my opinion on this, which has, I have to say, largely been based on the reaction I've seen from actual experts in the field. But um, based on based on what I can see is presented and what I know of current devices, that if any element of this is groundbreaking, it's the engineering of the device. And I think that's what mm-hmm. we'd expect, given that Musk is a Silicon Valley billionaire and the, the point of this most recent presentation essentially was a big advert for electronics engineers to join his team. Uh, he's posted about 20 job adverts uh, on his website, which you can, you can go and have a look right now. And uh, as you'll see, virtually all of them are for engineers, not neuroscientists. Mm-hmm. And I think that what that suggests to me is that the approach he's taking is that once the device itself 
is powerful enough and accurate enough and has all the tech, then the brain part will kind of fall into place, which is the, the element of the discussion I do have some major reservations about, as you can imagine. But what can't be denied is that compared to something like the Utah array, which is one of the more commonly used um, microelectro devices, um, the link is a, a really impressive piece of kit. So the Utah array packs in... So oh, sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say, so what, what is the Utah array? What's, how, does, how does that work? So this is a, a similar idea. There's a, a chip which um, involves um, a rather more arduous um, surgical process. So this um, replaces a bit of the skull, but also involves an external um, box which sits on, on top of the head. And uh, typically when it's done in um, model um, animals, there's a, a, a kind of more brute force uh, surgical technique involved to put it in place. Um, but the key aspect that the, the link wipes the floor with, with the Utah with is the number of um, electrode threads. So the Utah typically has 96 uh, threads per chip, whereas um, the, the Neuralink packs in over a thousand into a, a really small coin-sized area. So I think when you were quoting some, some researchers saying there's a, a magnitude level improvement, that's where they're, they're coming from. Um, okay. Yes. I think to, to, the, to add to that, Rory, I mean, I'm not quite sure exactly how much I can add, but yeah. it feels to me, I think, exactly as you were saying, that or on that is like Rajesh Rao's work is kind of done within the limitations of the, the funding and the equipment they currently have. Um, Neuralink is, is very much forging a whole new path, isn't it? And it is essentially, can we get this... Can we get this device to work? Can we safely implant it? Can we safely remove it? Then it sort of feels like, like you say, that's when sort of the, the day feels to me like when that's been proven, you'll sort of, I can imagine going onto his website and it won't be advertising for um, engineers. It'll be advertising at that point for neuroscientists. Um, exactly. So <laughs> to, to, the, to the point I read of this being essentially solid engineering, but mediocre neuroscience, I think, it's that I guess that's where they're sitting, isn't it? Is that at the moment it is an engineering project up until up until it can be proven that it's working. Yeah, I I think what could ruffle the feathers of some academics is the the way in which he's referring in in the presentation to um, the brain as as something which can be conquered using purely a engineering and electronics approach. <laughs> now I think it'd be quite annoying anyway if I was a esteemed neuroscience researcher and a tech billionaire knocked on my door and said so all these neurological problems you've been messing about with over the last 30 years i'm just going to throw money at it until they're all finished so just just let me have a go um you can see why that might uh, rather tick off some yeah. some uh, scientists but uh, he, he had some some quotes which i noticed uh, during the presentation saying things such as uh, the neurons in the brain are just like wiring and you need an electronic device to, to solve an electronic problem. And I think where Neuralink might come up against obstacles that say his, um, his Tesla projects and his, his rocket projects didn't is that whilst there has been some basic understanding of how to get rockets in the air for quite some time now, the basic understanding of how uh, deeper information is conveyed in the brain is still really up in the air. Now, a mm -hmm. good example of this is the 
the the neurological problems which Musk has has posited that Neuralink could solve. It wasn't just uh, things that are commonly targeted by electrodes such as tremor and Parkinson's. He was talking about blindness. He was talking about depression, uh, deafness, all of these basic, essentially anything that could affect the brain. He was saying that this device would one day be able to, to beat it and uh, overcome it. <laughs> and I think some of the, some of the other things he was saying, he was talking about um, how, how it'd be able to record memories and, and have them be played back to you. Now, uh, as a as a very basic example of, of why this is going to be a, a really tough sell to any neuroscientist, we, we really don't understand how memories are formed in the brain full stop. Yeah. Now, where in the brain are our memories derived from? We, we have a rough idea of the, the areas responsible, but the, the brain has a kind of... Um, emergent complexity that, that comes from the fact that we understand the individual cells really well, but how that, mm-hmm. how those cells come together to form structures and eventually a, you know, a three kilogram lump of uh, tissue that can do all the, the, the things that the brain can do. We, we, we still have a very rudimentary understanding of that. And, and it's going to be interesting to see how much of that actually needs to be understood to get some of the things that, that Musk says he can do to work. And, the reason I say that is because take, for example, the um, deep brain stimulation devices, which have been implanted in roughly 150,000 people um, up till now. These are electrodes that are inserted way deeper than um, Musk's Neuralink. They go right into um, deep areas of the brain and are used to alleviate the symptoms of motor disorders. Um, now, Parkinson's is a good example where over time, um, patients start showing uh, tremor and, and other um, motor issues called dyskinesia. And there's amazing videos out there of people um, turning on one of these electrodes, which is lodged into their brain and immediately having total relief from these motor symptoms. Now that sounds pretty miraculous, right? And uh, yep. the interesting thing I noted when looking at some reviews of this technology is that there's no definite theory as to how it works. People are walking around with these things in their brain, but ultimately there's still competing theories as to whether the electrical signals from the from the device are kind of overriding um, brain waves within the within the area, and that's causing some kind of system level change. But they don't know, and 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 we don't know. And and ultimately, you know, if if the the engineering advances to a certain stage, and and uh, um, we're able to, to put these electrodes wherever we want, then perhaps we won't need to know. But nonetheless, that's a, a difficult sell to, to volunteers and ultimately to patients who are um, not maybe overcoming uh, a disorder which is slowly robbing you of your movement, but you know might just be getting a, a neural link to enable them to play around with a, a memory from 20 years ago or even to play a, a video game using this device, which is another thing some of the uh, neural link team were talking about. So. Uh, I think there's a, a lot of a lot of obstacles, and some of them may not need to be overcome to, to get this working. But I think a lot of them will need to be visited in some way by this technology over the, the coming probably decades. Absolutely, I think it's uh, it's maybe ironic, Rory. I mean, you mentioned that sort of with uh, with his, uh, his SpaceX his program that uh, everyone always says uh, when something's complicated, it's not exactly rocket science. Well, I think the irony here is. <laughs> these things have nailed rocket science but the, the the brain side of it is far far more complex isn't it so it's uh, like you say it's not 
for me, it's just fundamentally, it's the engineering unlocks opportunities, but it unlocks opportunities and you're taking a big step into the unknown. Um, if you put in, this is by no means to, uh, to dismiss what you've done at Tesla or, or anything, but like you say, a, a car's a, a well-known thing. People know how it works. So it's, um, this, is, this is very much open, opening up a lot more. Um, I think just one last thing I would like for me to say on all of this as well is that I think it's important to know that he, Elon Musk is very, very, very good at generating headlines. He's like just got a huge amount of following and I think rightly so. I mean, this is remarkable what, what he's achieved. Interesting, but he's not the only, only one out there, is he, um, pursuing these kind of uh, implants. It's, um, and I must admit, again, naive to all of this before I started, but um, interesting to see uh, Facebook are invest, investing in it as well, aren't they? Um, I saw uh, they, they purchased one called Control Labs, apparently. And they're building a non-invasive neural interface. So uh, I think very much uh, he's not the only tech billionaire uh, looking, at, looking in this area. Everyone's going to want to have a piece of it. I mean, uh, think of the advertising opportunities for uh, social media companies if they can just send formable adverts directly into your visual field. <laughs> that, that really is a, an apocalyptic future. I'm sorry I even brought up that, um, that possibility. Yeah. But, uh, we're all hoping yeah, that, that, that never comes to pass. Well, exactly. Yeah, cooking, uh, waking up every morning, clearing my cookies, and uh, and get ready for the day. That's, uh... <laughs> uh, exactly. Uh, well, thank you very much, Ash, for that discussion. That was great. Um, it's uh, it's a really interesting area, but there are some pretty massive obstacles in the way. But yes, with perhaps with enough engineering, new and and, and money, they'll be able to. To find a way around them but uh, we'll, we'll certainly be covering it over at technet as uh, as the technology develops absolutely yeah and yeah thanks rory and uh, we'll definitely be back uh, as uh, as elon makes his next big announcement i guess absolutely um but perhaps a bit soon to then we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode of painted science so thanks again for listening in uh, if you've downloaded this via the technology network's website i hope you enjoy our cheat sheet on uh, Elon Musk's Neuralink, which touches on some of the, the points we've been mentioning today. So give that a read and, and have a look through our show notes for the amazing videos and, and uh, content we'll be, we'll be sharing through there. So thanks again for listening in and please share our podcast and please do comment on it. Don't keep your opinions to yourself. Bye for now.